we are not given any training or coaching in how to run the operating system, which is our brain. Imagine if I walked up to you and said, hey, this is Windows, but it's in a foreign language and you don't get a mouse. Go. And you'd be like, <laughs> what? what did that, did, that's how we're born. Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you, and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Welcome to the Building Doors podcast, Greg. We have a, a mutual friend, James Whitaker, who has raved about you. And the more that I have been speaking to different CEO guests, your name is a common theme that does come up with a lot of the guests. So you've obviously had some immense success in your space. I'm going to tell the uh, listeners just a little bit about you and your backstory, because I think it is very interesting and gives people, I guess, a taste of the work that you've done. So Greg Layton is the founder of Chief Maker, host of Inner Chief Podcasts, and an executive coach who specializes in helping CEOs and executive teams lead turnarounds and transformation. He's coached senior executives from more than 100 companies on five continents and is the trusted coach of some of the most in-demand C-suite executives and elite sports coaches, including working as a high-performance coach for the Queensland Reds Super Rugby team. He has also interviewed nearly 100 CEOs and gurus in elite performance on the Inner Chief podcast and personally coached C-suite executives across some major brands and industries. Greg has also written an Amazon best-selling book, The Chief Maker, and has been hosting top-rating iTunes podcast, The Inner Chief and The Universal Man. In his personal life, Greg has leapt to great heights with some amazing experiences training with the Shaolin monks in the remote mountains of China and running 250-kilometer ultra marathons across the Gobi and Atacama deserts. Wow. (laughs) It's always like what you haven't done, Greg. (laughs) So welcome. You've had an amazing journey and such insights, I'm sure, from interviewing so many C-suite executives throughout your career. Looking back, I'm very interested to see through your backstory, are there pivotal moments that shaped where you are now? So if you're looking back through that, how did all of that lead to here? Well, firstly, thanks for having me on the show. It's, it's really cool to be here. Well, uh, to answer your question directly, yeah, there's lots of key moments and insights. I've actually just come from my old school where I, and I've just been speaking to the grade 12s on their last day, me and a couple of other guys. Yeah. Just gave a, a few thoughts for them to take with them. And I started, which is sort of the opposite introduction that you just gave me because I sort of said to them, hey, look, if you look at my life from one angle, it's a life just full of mistakes. You know, like it's just one thing after the other, particularly in my early years where I probably got relationships wrong, I got my finances wrong, I got my career around the wrong way, like I drank too much, I did all these things, you know, a lot, a lot of a lot of stuff that normal people do when they're young, I probably made just about every single one of those mistakes. Mm. But what you realize is over time is eventually if you don't know your own self, you're going to crash. And that's what happened. So mm. two or three times I had a relationship bust up and then oh, I'll never forget this one day. My mentor, so I used to work in technology and IT and I was running these big programs of work in North America and I had this you know, fantastic job and I had this boss who was just an absolute legend and uh, it was like, it was in Calgary in Canada and we're walking through the streets one morning. He said, yeah, let's go for a coffee. So I was like negative 25, crunching through the snow and this mentor of mine says, hey, Greg, look, you're a great guy. You're going well, but hey, mate, geez, you are so bloody lazy, it's not funny. 
and I like it just it just hit me right like right in the heart like mm-hmm. I yeah, I felt angry and frustrated and upset and all those things initially mm-hmm. but then when I really sat down and thought about it there were two truths about it which stuck first is because it came from Chad and I respected him I knew he wanted me to know it for a good reason mm-hmm. second is it was true there was a certain part of me Mm. as an individual that hadn't worked out how to deal with my shadow self or these parts of my personality mm. that are naturally good. Yeah. We've all got them, but I just hadn't worked out how that, how that would fit for me. And so I was dropping the ball, mm. not being so. By laser, he meant you're not disciplined enough. You don't prepare for things as well as you should. You cut corners. All those little things mm. that allow me to be great at other things were really starting to cost me because as we got through the levels of an organization, the pressure goes up. And when the pressure goes up, if there's any cracks, mm. like it busts. Yeah. Right. And so thankfully I had someone like Chad. Yeah. Right. I was only, uh, I was only uh, maybe 25 and like all good mentors. And he took me under his wing and said, hey, what you got to do now, mate, you got to learn. And so he just, he opened the world of self-help to me. And then he, that really led me into coaching eventually because I started doing courses in elite performance and things. And you meet other coaches and then all of a sudden you get a skill set where you can actually coach. Those early years were really formative. And now when I look at how I respond to certain scenarios, I'm, I'm very aware of am I being held back by a natural weakness mm. because I can see how that, well, my own experience, when I'm looking after those things, I play much better. How do you think with that being a natural weakness of yours that you were able to obviously with the help of someone else identify was it something that you think was developed over time that you that you just focused more on what you were good at and just just left that or do you think it's something that you were born with well those particular traits are just purely personality traits and you, you could take a myers-briggs or a disc or whatever <laughs> and you would see yeah. the natural strengths and weaknesses they're just there and so that would have Something like that, I can't remember what it was back in the day that really started to open up to me, some of the different parts. I read a lot of books about Jungian psychology and the shadow self and all that. So I got an understanding of it, but I'm also a very, very firm believer in brain plasticity. We can change and we can grow. Mm. And so even now, if I score myself on some of those personality things, Mm. I've actually had very different scores too, 17 years ago. Great. Right. Because the more you learn about that, the more you understand that actually, even in that, there's a bit of wisdom hmm. and that if you know that you're not so disciplined or you know that you cut corners, you know that if you lean into that and actually become good at that a little bit, hmm. you have to be perfect at it, that actually you're going to be really, really good at stuff because you're rounding out your performance. Hmm. So another way to think about it is imagine like a castle and you're the queen of the castle, right? And you're trying to defend it from a horde, hmm. but you have no idea where it has weak points in its defense. Hmm. The hood's just going to run you over. Yeah. But if you are actually aware of where the weak points are, you can defend them a little bit better. Yes. Focus on your strengths to win the battle, but just make sure that those weaknesses aren't going to cost you the game. And I think that happens a lot with execs. Mm. We talk a lot about strengths, but I think we need to probably spend a bit more time talking about those little bits within us that are holding us back. Mm. And being really, it sounds like you became, it was a really powerful thing that that mentor gave to you at that age to become mm. so self-aware at that age and then obviously shaped, help shape your career with where mm. you are now. Mm. In terms of real world experience as well, I really want to touch a little bit on your travel and your, mm. your sports and things like that as well, because you talk about the mistakes you've made that shaped you as well throughout your 
career and personal life. What about travel? Has it had an impact on you as well, do you feel, in shaping you now? Oh, man, I grew up in, in Brisbane and back then it was a cow town. Like, <laughs> you know, like it was like an oversized. Cow town. You know, like it was just an oversized country town. Yeah. Like I don't know how to describe it. You know, still got that feel sometimes. Still sometimes, yeah. you know, it's a bit more sophisticated now. But so, I mean, I didn't even leave, uh, I think, Queensland till I was 18. I didn't leave Australia till I was nearly 22. Was 21. I had no idea, you know, and you think you know, but when you're inside a bubble, you don't know what, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And eventually I got on a plane and went to London and lived there and did loads and loads of travel, years of travel across all of Africa and, and the Middle East and Europe and, and North America. And I think you just start to get a real sense of the grandness of life and how big it is. Mm. And I suppose all that's done is probably a couple of things. One, it's made me very careful when I'm working in very different cultural environments. I've coached a lot in Africa with mining and mm. and so just being really aware of how to do that and how you've got to adjust your style very significantly based on who's in the room. Or particularly if you've got a room with maybe 10 cultures in it, not mm. just one, executives from around the world or something. Yeah. So I am actually feel like I've got a bit of an advantage in coaching in those environments. Uh, and I think the second thing is it's quite humbling because you just realize how small you are mm. and therefore you just have to be curious. Hmm. Right, the curiosity. How do they do that? How do they make that work when they think so differently to us? And yeah. you go, then they're perfectly organised society and everything works fine. And yeah. So I think, I mean, the lessons from travel never stop. They're just yeah. they're amazing, right? Absolutely. I want to talk more about something that you mentioned before because you mentioned it a couple of times, and I think it'll be really valuable for the listeners to learn more about the shadow self. So mm-hmm. to talk to us more about that. What did that mean when you uncovered that? And obviously, as a coach, you'd work with people that you're coaching mm. on that or C-suite mm. that you're coaching at that level. Tell us more about that concept. Sure. Well, the shadow self is sort of that, that side of ourself that sometimes we, we don't really like. And we call it the shadow because often we're not aware of it as well. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you imagine on any given day, imagine you, you on your worst day, mm-hmm. like what it's like. So, for me, a meal on my worst day is I'm tired when I get up, I'm short-tempered, I'm quick to character assassinate, mm-hmm. you know, like um, I cut corners. I don't like detail. Like This is me, right? It's a part of myself that I've grown to understand. I don't love that part of me, to be honest. And it was in the shadow for a long time. Mm. Me on a good day is like completely opposite. Energized. I go for good things, right? I'm a big thinker. I've got all all these ideas. But in the end, if I do too much of that, I end up rolling down. I get tired and I go into a bit of shadow. So what, what's really powerful is if you think about you on a bad day mm-hmm. and you think about some of the negative traits you bring out, mm. is there a wisdom you can draw from it? Is there a way you can actually learn from that? Because the shadow is not, not all negative. I was saying to these seniors at the school today, hey, I've made all these mistakes and I've got these traits. I haven't defeated them. Mm. They are a part of me. I love that about me in the end, that I'm like we're all perfectly imperfect. Mm. And so when you look for those parts of you that are a little bit imperfect, like we've all got, you're only opening the door to greater awareness. Mm. That's, you know, shadow's a big topic, but it I love maybe that. in 30 seconds. Yeah. No, I, I think it's really important. And when you talked there about you keep operating in that certain space, which is all the things you love, you know, when mm. you've got that clear strategic vision, when you're, you're firing, you're energetic, you're, mm. you're going really well. What are things people can look for as well? Because I know a lot of people listening here would be in management roles. It's been a busy year and and I personally work in construction infrastructure Mm. and it's only going to get busier moving forward. Mm. (laughs) So what are some of the things people can do or be aware of 
for not going into shadow self. What are some ways you, I guess, take care of yourself? Yeah, sure. I want to talk about business before we do that. Yeah. Life is busy now. And we always, it's getting bigger and busier and busier, but to be honest, it's just been busy for a decade. <laughs> for a <laughs> long, long time. Remember, right? <laughs> what I think we are starting to understand, in fact, we've known for a very long time, what we call overwhelm mm. or overload. Now, a little bit of science behind this, and I'll talk about how this plays out. The science is if you are trying to do too many things at once, your brain slows down. The best way to describe it is if you remember the old days I was RAM in a computer mm. and you ran too many programs on your computer, mm. what would happen? Oh, it shuts down. It's it like when you've down. got all those, you know, all the different yeah. tabs open. Yep, yeah, that's it. So, and eventually there gets too many things running and so the computer slows down and then it crashes. Our cognitive attention, our conscious attention, that's RAM. Our brain or our memory, that's more like hard drive. Mm. And it's got everything we've ever known, everything we've ever seen. It's running programs in the background all the time. That's mm. all happening. Mm. Right? But because we are limited in our conscious attention, mm. what we end up doing is we open an email, then we do an app, then we get a phone call, then we do a Slack, then we do a social media, then we do a podcast, and our brain is just going around in circles. Now, a few things happen as a result of that. First and foremost, we start to feel that stress, that overwhelm. Mm. That incredible busyness. And like there's no, it feels like there is no gap between you get up in the morning and get, go to sleep at night. Yes. It just goes. And it's like groundhog day. You Especially when your children wake you up at 5 a.m. Exactly. Yep. Which, yep. And I've got three young kids. And so, you know, I've got a business and- Up with the up dawn. Up yep. with the dawn, yep. Yep. My kids wake up, you know, the cockerel, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. Yeah. So this overwhelm then plays out in you don't have good strategic thinking because your short your sight or your vision of the future really shortens mm. and you're only thinking about the end of the day. It feels like you're putting out fires rather than creating great plans. It feels like you're on the back foot. There's no creative thinking, no innovation. Relationships become tasks. Mm. You lose that great connection. Mm. So that's overwhelm. Now, when you're in a state of overwhelm, the world feels nuts. Mm. So we have to at first deal with the overwhelm. Mm -hmm. We have a, a few steps where you normally teach around that. And the first thing is understanding that you have to have a rhythm or a cadence to your day, mm. right? And the way you start your day is absolutely critical. So we have a thing called a morning focus session. And the most important thing is when you wake up, you do not check your email. That's the worst. Most people check email and social media before they leave bed. Mm. That's like, there's a bunch of science behind this now. We know it. Your brain goes nuts as soon as you do that. You're feeding it the wrong stuff. So none of that before you get out of bed, no news, none of that. Take some time to be present at home. Mm. Before you open up your email and your calendar, sit down and reconnect with your plan. Mm. What are your big ticket items for the day? What am I going to focus on? What are the key meetings? What are the, the outcomes of those meetings? So you're not walking into a meeting room and going, oh, what are we talking about here today? Oh, <laughs> and they're like, oh, I think it's this. Oh, it's great. No agenda, no idea. Instead, you walk into a meeting room, you know exactly what the agenda is. You know the outcome you're trying to get. Mm. You know what you want people to think, feel, and do when they leave. And so you go from one meeting to the next. And these morning focus sessions are seven, eight minutes. That's all. I'm not talking half an hour. It shouldn't mm. take you that long, right? Mm. If you're taking that long, you're overthinking it. Mm. Get yourself focused in the morning. And if you just do that as a starting point and really check in about the way you're spending your time in the day, mm. then things will start to calm down. I love that. That's very intentional. Because yes. I think people get into that habit. Yeah. You are right. People are mm. in that habit. They're checking their phone. Yep. They're reactionary. Like they're yeah. going, what am I going to re They're reacting to the day. And yep. I love that you're setting that intention yep. for the day. And part of what you do as you get better and better at this is you start to learn how to say no. So I don't know what the data is, but it would be, when I go into a, an organization, one of a 
let's say you've got 50 leaders in the room, I'll say, put your hand up if you go to 20% of your meetings that are a waste of time. And you probably have 48 people with the hand up. I say, make it 40%. And you've probably got 30 people out of the room would say 40% of their meetings are a waste of time. Mm. And I'm like, that's crazy. The loss of productivity. Yeah. No wonder you're busy. Yeah. Right? So when you get better at morning focus session, you also start getting better and better at prioritization. And this process of very respectfully and with dignity saying, no thanks, I don't need to be there, or could you please clarify what the agenda is, what's the purpose, do we have the data, do we have the reports, information we need to have that meeting. So it's just about being really intentional and owning. If you don't own your time, then trust me, everyone else will. Yeah. Like, God, the world is great. I'll just send out an email. I will just have a bit of yarn about this. Make your meetings half an hour. Be really strong on your time. And all of a sudden, you'll get back. If it's an hour a day, Mm. if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'll give you an hour a day, would you take it? <laughs> yes. Exactly. I probably could get you three. You know, like as a yeah. mum, I would <laughs> give I me that bet. hour. Yes, 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 exactly. But I, and I see the best chiefs that I meet are really good at that. Mm. They're really strict with their time. It doesn't mean they're not personal. Mm. It actually means it's the other way around. It means when they're in a meeting, it is more relationship based. It is more strategic. It is they think better. Mm. We just wipe out the stuff that creates all the noise. It resonates at one of my clients that it's, it was promoted recently to general manager made the comment, you're going to get invited to everything when mm. you, you know, people want to make sure you're in the loop. But I think it is very hard for leaders to become intentional, especially mm. when you're newly promoted. And we all know we were talking about before, a lot of leaders yeah. become technical experts, but don't have the coaching skills that mm. you have mm. to help them take that next step. So one of the things about this podcast is building doors and creating opportunities. So the whole mm. point is if something doesn't exist, if the opportunity isn't there, build a door, find a way. Tell us about how you've created opportunity in your own life. Well, I think podcasts is probably one. How many ever? 200 and something? 260 today. Yeah, amazing. And as a result, there's 100 CEOs out there that I've got a great connection with and, yes. and stay in contact with. Yeah. I never have dreamed of that mm. 10 years ago. I think the best example is this. I read this thing once, a Stoic philosophy. Marcus Aurelius wrote these notes about life, what he learned from his master. Yeah. And he said, I'm indebted to my uncle for teaching me to learn direct from the masters. So when I was going through learning how to be a coach, mm. I thought, what's the best way to make this actually work? So I thought, well, who were some coaches out there that I thought were pretty amazing? Mm-hmm. One of them was um, back then. I sort of quite enjoyed the work of Tony Robbins, the big American crazy guy. Oh yeah, you know? <laughs> he's great. And uh, I thought, well, I like Tony, but there's also a bit of OTT about yeah, it. Yeah, yes, not for everyone. <laughs> not for everyone. Wasn't sure if I could handle all of his work. So I thought, who taught Tony? Like he didn't just pop up out of the ground. Someone mm. taught Tony, and mm. so then I found out that there was a particular guy that taught him a lot around the field of NLP. And I thought, well, maybe I should go and learn from him. Mm. So I got off got off my ass and I went. I, I went and learnt from the master. Mm. And so what that meant was it was a risk, it was some thinking, and then it was an expense. Mm. But what happened as a result of that is I got a skill set no one else has got. Mm. And that's opening doors for me constantly. Yes. So I think that's an example of where you don't always have to just be boldly walk in a room. Sometimes it's just try and reverse engineer how you might get there mm. and open some doors. I love that you said it was a risk and an expense. That's right, yeah. 
And a lot of people mm. won't take the risk and don't want to put the expense in there. And mm. you need to. Yeah. Yeah. I was on a call with a guy yesterday. He's an old, he's an old friend of mine and he's trying to work out if he should get a coach and all that. And so I'm not in any way trying to sell to him. I'm like, and I just said, oh, mate, enough is enough of you worrying about a few thousand bucks. If you can't do this, then stop calling. Like, honestly, <laughs> I don't even, like, I don't even want, I don't even want your business. <laughs> You know, like if you you need a coach, go and find someone else and spend the money because you're on your own. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You think you do, but you don't. Well, I love him to bits, but <laughs> he can talk the house down and not and just never make a goddamn decision. <laughs> and I'm like, I said, okay, what if you don't? What if you don't get one? And he goes, I'll still be here calling you in a year's time. I was like, I won't be answering your phone. <laughs> you, you go to voicemail, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. You, you got to have a coach. I've got one. Look, why don't other people? I don't get it. Like an elite athlete wants to go anywhere in, in life. They've got coaches. They've got like four. Mm. And yet we got executives on hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions, and they think they've got the world worked out. And I'm not there to tell them how to do their job. I'm there to help them learn skills that will help them. They mm. then tack on to their work. Mm. Right. I'm glad you mentioned the sporting because it was something I wanted to talk mm. about as well because you've done a lot with swimming, but you've also yeah. coached for the Reds as well. Yeah. Are there some lessons as well or trends that you learn through the sporting side of things in coaching that you find play out at work as well? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a wealth of ex-athletes out there peddling leadership and all that. And I think it is a wonderful thing that they do that. As a recipient of that in the corporate world, you just need to be really careful that not everything translates. Mm. So we have a model called Prepare, Perform, Recover, Review. So if you imagine you prepare for something, mm-hmm. like a, a big game, mm-hmm. you perform on a Saturday, you recover on a Sunday, you review all week, then you prepare again. Okay. Okay. Yep. Really simple. That's an example of a weekly life cycle of prepare, perform, recover, review. Now, what an athlete does is prepare, if it's a, a football or netball or something, they perform once a week for 90 minutes or 80 minutes. Mm. That's it. It's not how the corporate world works. No. <laughs> right? But this is actually one of the best... Most important points is when I present this model, I normally ask executives, hmm. what is your performance theater? When are you performing? And I go, when we go to work. I go, no, 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 not always. Hmm. It's certain performances. It's meetings are your biggest performance theater. Hmm. Why? Because it's full of people you need to align with and communicate with, collaborate with, sell to. That is when you are on your game. Yes. So true. it's that. And the technical aspect of your work, if you happen to develop a plan or a, yeah. or something, right? Yeah. Those are your two performance theaters. So if you don't know your performance theater, how are you reviewing it? Mm. Where are you reviewing performance? So athletes review performance mm. like crazy. Mm. You walk into the Queensland Reds on a Monday morning. It's back when I was there, it was all um, analog and printed stuff out. And you'd walk along the wall and there would be 50 A4 sheets of paper. Every single player has a, a review of the game that is played. Mm. What the key metrics, things I did well, things I didn't get quite right, mm. the game the week after, who they're about to play directly against, their key strengths, weaknesses of that, of that individual athlete. Mm. So this is what it's really important for those athletes to know is the opposition has a little sheet that's about them as well. Yeah. And it says all their basic metrics, are their really poor tackle on the left shoulder. That would be an example, right? So then they know that all bloody game, that's where the opposition are going to run. So the key is if you don't know your performances, you don't know what you're sort of aiming up for to then recover from. If you're not recovering, you don't get your review right. If you don't have a performance, you don't know what you're reviewing and therefore you can't prepare. So the whole system collapses. But when you add it into your executive life, it's game changing because mm. all of a sudden you have these key moments where you're like, it's game time. Mm. 
Mm. I've got to turn up now. And it's like, the analogy I give is, you know, Usain Bolt before he used to do that big run and he'd be joking around and laughing with the crowd and then he'd do this thing with his eyebrows, whatever it was, and he was like, it was like, like a lion's eye. Game like, face. Like he was like game face, exactly. <laughs> and he was like, I'm going to win. And so when, like I, I've worked in corporate a lot of years, I've never seen anybody do that. Mm-hmm. Why the hell not? Why, yeah. why aren't you turning up? You walk in a big meeting room, an executive room, or on a stage or whatever you're doing, you know, one-to-one with a key team member, mm-hmm. turn up and knock it out of the park. Mm-hmm. They will never forget you for it. It's amazing that you mentioned that because when people do do that, they have such a presence. So people that have prepared that mm. do show up in the meeting and they are memorable. 100%. Yeah. You know those people yeah. and they're people that when you think of great leaders will be the first people that come to mind. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you just know it. Like the first time I ever walked into, a, I was on a, on a board maybe oh, 14 years ago and we had a chair, a board chair, and they were okay, I thought, and I thought the board meetings were not that great. They could have been a lot better. Mm. Then I'd shared that with the founder and I was like, oh, it's not really going that great. We need to be sharper. You know, a new board chair comes in. He just sits down and starts his meeting and I, he just went, okay, let's go. And, and I just couldn't believe This guy was just unbelievable. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's what good looks like. We're shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he just really raised the bar. Thank God you're here. Yes, exactly. It's exactly what I thought. Thank God you're here. So I think in those moments, just like you said, they're memorable, mm. right? And you've got to create, well, I remember one CEO said, you've got to create wow stories if you want to be promoted mm. and you want people to magnetically come and ask your opinion. Mm. And it's not much more effort to walk into a meeting being prepared as opposed to not prepared. You're so right. And so many people don't do it. I mean, it's work sometimes. Yeah. Just to go ask yourself a few questions, key agenda, who are the people, what are their incentives, what am I trying to get out of it, what do I want to think for and do when they leave? Mm. I mean. If I did that, it might take me 90 seconds, three minutes maximum. Hmm. I go in the meeting and now I'm, I'm on. Yep. Right? You know the intention. No. You've, done the, you've yep. done the prep. Yep. Looking back on your own career, I want to talk about the challenging times as well because I think it's important for people and so many people recently I've been speaking to that have such potential go, oh, you know, I, I don't think I'm up for the challenge or I'm going to struggle getting through the hard times, even people that want to have a business. So you come across definitely as somebody who's quite determined and I can see whether that be true or not, but you seem mm-hmm. to come across with like quite a resilient mindset as well. So I'm keen to understand how do you get through and maintain determination and perseverance through the challenges of life, having a business, having a podcast, three kids, you know, it's a busy life. It's a very busy life. So I'll say this, that um, like running your own business and having a family is not all sunshine and rainbows. Like it's not, COVID destroyed us. We lost 80% of our revenue for nearly two years. Wow. Right? So I know what it's like to be in a really dark place on that. So I remember um, when we're in the depths of COVID, during COVID, I was in Melbourne for a lot of it. And after being locked in our house for about 90 days, my wife and I were in the kitchen and we're listening to Dan Andrews give his daily update. And in this particular update, he said, oh, we can't open. We're going to have to go in like another 30 days lockdown. <sighs> and by this time, like, I've got a beard. I'm like, I'm getting fatter. <laughs> like, I haven't left home in, in months. Hibernation. Like, you're not allowed to leave home. Kids are driving us crazy. They weren't allowed to go to school. We weren't, come up to the term for it, but we weren't allowed. So we were just going basically batshit crazy. And when he said that, I had the remote control in my hand. I threw it across the room and it shattered against the wall. Mm. And I thought, oh, I probably 
shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went, oh, okay, right. I said to my wife, we've got to solve this. Like, if we can't solve this, then no one can. So I said, what we need to hear is we need a playbook because – so I, I've developed over time all these natural responses to difficult scenarios. Mm. So when someone hits me the hard question, I know what to do. It's like in martial arts, the first time you go on my martial arts, the first thing I do is if someone throws a right hook, you put up your left juke and you stop it. Mm. Right? And it becomes muscle memory. Mm. Now, life is like that. Something happen- difficult happens, first time it happens, you get punched in the nose. Mm. Then you go, ha-ha, I know what's coming. <laughs> and you block and you get better and better. Mm. Now, what happened during COVID was – Every single thing that was being thrown at us, we'd never seen before. Yeah. I'd never been locked in my home. I'd never been told I couldn't go and meet someone for a beer. Mm. Uh, never been told that you're not going to have income for a long period of time. I'd never been told you're going to be stuck in your house with your kids for this period of time. Mm. And I was like, so actually, I, I don't have any defense to this. No. And all the things that make you human, that release all the biochemicals like serotonin and oxytocin and all these wonderful biochemicals, they're all being blocked. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, we need to work out a set of responses. So we this little process called resilience playbook where you start out, what is the negative emotion? What is the setback? So it might be, if you're in a business context, these days it might be, oh, a client calls us and says, we didn't win the deal. Mm-hmm. Classic example for a business. Mm. We have bad cash flow for a month. Mm. For example, I have a toxic staff member who is causing me stress and anger. So what you write down is just the emotion. The stress and the anger, mm. right, or the depression mm-hmm. or the anxiety. Then you say, well, what is the root cause of that? What's the thing that's causing me to feel that? Mm. Is it, as I said, is it a lost contract? Is it a toxic person? Mm. Then you say, okay, if that's where I'm at, then what's going to be my little, my little mantra to help me reset? And then the action to immediately take to get me out of the negative and into what we call a resourceful state. Mm. So, for example. When I said, one of the things that I had was this, this real sense of being like a caged animal. Mm. Like I'm, a, I'm an out there kind of guy. I love being outside. I love talking to people. Yeah. It's who I am. And I was caged up for months. And so I literally felt like I was being clawed and mm. like it was the weirdest feeling. And so I said, well, it's the caged animal feeling. Right. I know the root cause. That's pretty obvious. It was isolation. Right. Mm. So it was, the thing was, it was isolation, but it didn't give you any sort of, opportunity to actually be alone. So I had this isolation going on. And so my mantra was, I used to play that song by Queen, I want to break free. (laughs) (laughs) I want to break free. And then my wife and I had this example. If you ever feel that, the action is go out the door and at least walk around the block. Just go. As opposed to saying I'll do it later or opening a glass of wine or doing something silly. So we just had this little play. When you feel that coming on, okay, get on top of it. Mm. So when you do this, it, it just starts to give you a sense of where you're losing and where you're likely to feel the setbacks. And mm. it gets you on the front foot. So when it comes, you're expecting it. Aha, here it is. I got it. Now I can respond mm. quite resourcefully, quite yep. readily to have a crack. Yeah. A lot of the time we've, over the years, with all the ups and downs and trials and tribulations of life and business, I've just learned to keep putting more and more things in place. But when they come, I've got a way of dealing with it. I love what you shared there about that as well, because the problem with COVID and being in isolation as well is you're in isolation, but you're not because people are still needing things from you. There's still different roles to play. You're still playing business owner, father, husband, and there's no off. Mm. I remember the term, sorry. It was isolation, but it was not solitude. Yes. True. That was the difference. And that hurt. And so that's why we had to come up with something to deal with that. Yeah. And the second part of it was we decided because it was isolation, not solitude, to give each other some solitude. Mm. Right. So go upstairs. I got the kids for three hours. Just go 
and be fine. Be yourself. Do whatever you want. I don't care if you want to watch telly, read a book, do whatever. Mm. Worked. <laughs> and I love that you shared that. Interestingly, I did the exact same thing during COVID. I went out and had a, went for a walk, listened to James. James has a podcast as well, mm. and I've started listening to yours now, mm. my other new favourite podcast, <laughs> because that's the solitude time. Yeah, you, sure. you created yeah. that for yourself, go for the yeah. walk, and then we all know that that raises those endorphins, going yeah. for that walk, getting that exercise. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's amazing. I think so many people don't stop and reflect on those triggers and knowing that and knowing yourself. Yeah. And I think self-awareness is something that comes through a, mm. a lot with you as well. So I'm also keen to understand, you mentioned a mentor early on when you were in your 25. I think mentors in a community is also really important for people or it has been in my own life. Mm. Thinking of COVID, that's all taken away, right? Like you can't just grab a coffee with somebody that you, when you're having a tough day. Mm. So tell us more around your mentors that have shaped your life, your community. Well, I think I think Chad was was one that I had for many years, particularly when I was in North America. I don't speak to him as much anymore just because of distance, but one that I have now is uh, the guy that I run this other podcast, another business called Universal Man With, and he's more of a self-awareness and spiritual kind of mentor, just mm. keep me grounded. I sort of go to him for wise advice and and counsel, and I think that's – that's been really important mm. to me over the years. In some ways, they're mentors and sometimes they're not. Like Because I know all these CEOs, I run these sessions called the Council of Chiefs and we just get together. It's sort of a CEO's only private lunch or call. Mm. And I, I'm just learning like crazy. And so if I've got a question, I'll just throw it in. There's <laughs> <laughs> something pretty special like having all these people with like 100 years of business experience go, oh, I'll try this. And I'm like, oh, I might. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll give it a go. So I think- I don't know how you really survive without a mentor or, or someone there who's because you you just get in your own um your own bubble. I notice you've got a, a really good energy, and you seem to be able to have people around you with good energy. When you talk about the person that grounds you, when you're looking at the people you have around you, do you feel it's important around what they bring to your life as well, the the, the people you surround yourself with? Well, that's that's a no brainer. I think yeah. I mean, you, there is that old thing like you're the sum of what are you the average of the people you spend your time with or something. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I've learned a hell of a lot by just being around really successful people, mm. not even working, mm. just hanging out. Mm. Like I think that's that's something I find really fascinating. I do think at some point you can't leave everyone behind. True. There's some people you just don't have energy for. I get it. I get it. And if they're really sucking the life out of you, you just gotta. Cut mm. the cord, and I've certainly done that with enough people in my life because I just know they're not I'm not really on my team. And mm. for them, it's probably just about ego and mm. fear and not really knowing what life's got in store for them. I'm not sure what it is. Not interested, to be honest. I've got to can't have that much of a weight. But then there are other times I think when you, if you see someone either you care about or you love, or that, or you just happen to be their person that they need right now, mm. then you've got to. I think as a member of the community, you've got to. Mm. you got to just slow down and help them through that. I'm glad you talked about that as well because one of the other things I wanted to ask you, and just because it's actually been something that's been coming up with a lot of men that I'm close to in leadership roles after COVID, mm. are you seeing much around mental health in that space as well after COVID? Yeah. I know some of the data around, around addiction is getting worse. Mm. I think it's a combination of things though. I think it's a combination of COVID, addiction, Mm. Social media, media, hyper tribalism, doom scrolling. Yeah. Comparing yourself to Instagram people like comparison is a thief of joy kind of kind of line, you know. 
there's a lot there for people to deal with that just was not there. And they don't, like I said before, they don't have a playbook for it. Mm. So I'm seeing it a lot. I don't think it's gender specific. It's no. both. Yeah. I don't, it's not age specific. Unfortunately, kids are having the same battles. Mm. It is an, an immeasurably more complex and difficult world to when I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I didn't have social media back then. And of course, I got to get up and change a channel, channel with your hand. You couldn't even, use a, couldn't even use a remote when I was a kid. I couldn't couldn't believe it. We got a remote control. That was so cool. Now we've got casting. And- yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So I just think, yes, it is everywhere. And I think what we need to do as individuals is really understand our own mental health and be really across what makes us thrive. Mm. So don't give up when you're feeling okay. Mm-hmm. Try and aim for some level of pushing yourself into new territory and trying new things. Mm. And I think probably more than ever, we almost need something that drives us, mm. like a big goal at work or away from work, something that's keeping our attention and, and it deprioritizes all the other shit. Yeah. Right. When you've got something you're working towards, you don't have time for doom scrolling. True. Right. Like get something in your life that gives you excitement. Like There's a line that we use in coaching. It's called leaders are dealers in hope. So if you ask yourself in your own mind, where's my hope in the next year? What have I got to look forward to? And if it's not growth and it's not a cool holiday, and it's not some fun activity and it's not a cool concert or whatever or a competition that you're in, if there's nothing in that, there's nothing in the next 12 months that gives you hope or excites you, then turn off this podcast and work it out. Like, yes. God. But turn it back on again. Yeah, turn after. it back on. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We're not finished. Pause it. Yeah, yeah. Pause, Pause. it. Get it down. Come back because then, then I'll tell you the rest of it. Then, yeah, you can yeah. hear the next part. You know what I mean? Like that is so important mm, to have that is. in your life. And then I always say to people, make sure you ask that about the people that work for you. Mm. What does someone in your team have to look forward to? Do they have got a course going on? Are they going to a conference with the other peers? Mm. Are you guys going away and doing some team building? Mm. Is there some coaching you're going to give them? New clients, what the hell is going to float their boat? Because there's another company over the road that's probably got some plans for them mm. otherwise. So much in hope. There's so mm. much in hope and as well in, in feeling you've got a purpose and a meaning and something you're striving towards. I'm also interested as well, given all your coaching work and the CEOs you've worked with, the podcast, all of that, what is the legacy you want to leave in your life? So looking back, all of this work, What's the legacy you want to leave? We define this pretty closely, actually. We just want to help executives find their purpose and then execute it. Mm. I think by purpose, I just mean a legacy, mm. right? And legacy can be big, small, I don't care. Yep. Just be really clear about what it is you're going to leave in this world so that when you finish your career, you can look at kids in the eye and say, I did something that I'm proud of mm. as opposed to just filling a bank account. So I think there's, when you get a real sense of, what it is your legacy is or purpose or your vision for as an individual, what's really frustrating is if you work that out and then you don't do anything about it. And what I'm finding is, and companies are the same, they're great at, well, not great, they're okay at visions and strategies and often pretty horrendous at execution. Mm-hmm. So when, when I remember writing that purpose statement, it was quite clear, it was delineated. First find it and then execute it. And if I can teach people to do those two things, I'll be very happy. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And then it has a ripple effect because you're teaching them. And then your exactly. hope would be that then they're passing that knowledge on exactly. as well. What do you hope as well has changed in leadership or in leaders by the time you retire? I, I think it's um, actually pretty straightforward because I've said to people what would be the one change you'd want to make in the world and I'd say just be educate people on firstly their psychology 
So most people I know have a very vague understanding of personality models and a few other things. Mm. They're really not clear on their purpose Mm -hmm. and very unsure of their values and the way that the roles that play in their life. They're not familiar with concepts, even concepts like shadow. Mm. They're just very unclear of a lot of their own drivers, the behavioral Mm. economics that makes us tick. Mm. We're not given any training or coaching in how to run the operating system, which is our brain. Imagine if I walked up to you and said, hey, this is Windows, but it's in a foreign language and you don't get a mouse. Uh, go. And you'd be like, what, what, did that, did, that's how we're born. Like we don't have any True. idea how to run this operating system and we're often just like a mouse on a bloody wheel running around. What the hell did I just think that for? Well, why am I so upset by that person who just said that? And I would just love that we do a much, much better job at people understanding that because when we get that right, that's at least half of the journey of then making them good people to work with that leave a good legacy. Mm. That's, no, I suppose that's one thing I'd love to see change. What a great answer. Mm. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. Look, I wanted to touch on something that we'd spoken about in our initial discussions previously. You spoke about different frameworks and I found it really interesting when you explained to me the concept. So tell us more about that. How do frameworks work? Okay, so as a leader or, in fact, in any situation in your life, you're faced with decisions and you want to be able to make those decisions with confidence. Now, the most important thing is you make the right decision because you've diagnosed what's actually going wrong. Mm -hmm. So way we use frameworks is basically a diagnostic to work out in a complex situation, Mm. what is the thing to do and the thing not to do? Mm -hmm. So, for example, we have a high-performance teams framework and it says strategy, people, Tools, culture, execution. Mm-hmm. So someone comes to me and I ask them a bunch of questions and I'm going, well, your strategy is pretty clear. This is good. Okay. That's not the problem. Then I'm going, okay, what about culture? Okay, tools. Oh, that's all good. Tick, 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 tick. Well, we're sort of getting results, Greg. And I'm like, show me your execution. And then I can see there it is immediately. So I don't worry about all the other stuff. I fix the execution. And it's like a, it's like a laser straight on the problem as quick as you can to solve it. Mm. And as a leader, you should be sitting there going, okay, I've got a framework for if we do marketing, it's a marketing framework. Or Mm. if it's legal advice, we've got a legal advice framework or technology maturity model or something. Mm. You have to be able to have something that allows you to work out very quickly what is the root cause problem Mm. and the most painful, high-risk thing that's going on in our business Mm. so that you can direct your attention to it as quickly as possible. So frameworks allow you to do that. To be honest, you know, frameworks about bloody frameworks. Yeah. They're mental models. And when you see people do things like a, a project health check, that's a framework. Yeah. When you see high-performance maturity models or you see they're all frameworks, don't shy away from those. They are fascinating and interesting. And you should be using them to help you make smarter, wiser, data-driven decisions at the minute. How can people develop their frameworks? Okay, that's a more complex process to develop your frameworks, but in a very high level, Mm. first of all, you start with, in a particular category, Mm -hmm. what are all the things that can go wrong? Mm -hmm. Then you categorize those things and say, oh, okay, well, if it's, just say it's back to the team one, Mm -hmm. I go, what are all things that can go wrong? And they go, well, people can walk away, or they do shit that doesn't count. Like they do the work on projects that don't matter. I'm like, Mm. okay, well, so prioritization Mm -hmm. is one, right? Or people start arguing with each other. Oh, so culture, no standards. So I start getting literally 50 kind of things, we put into all these little topics and you can slowly build a framework that says, okay, uh, are we good at standards and culture? Are we good at giving receiving feedback? Uh, what about our language, rituals and traditions? So it's quite a complex process. I think the best way to begin is just leverage the ones that are out there. There's thousands of them. I love it. <laughs> right? So yeah. it's a great way to solve a problem quickly. Yep. Amazing. Thank you. Great. 
we're on to our rocket round now. Okay, so sure. we've, we've yeah. got all the, the good stuff from you and so many insights there. I think that, you know, if you haven't, once you've paused this episode mm, and done your work, back. <laughs> come back and listen to it again and reflect on your answers because there's so much good stuff there. So, look, the rocket round is just a bit of fun that we okay. have. And the first question is favourite book. Oh, I should have an answer to this because I asked this on my podcast. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm going to go back to um, some old, old originals that I found really insightful. So there's two books by a guy called John Grinder and Richard Bandler that were written in the 80s. They're the guys that founded neurolinguistic programming. And it's called The Structure of Magic, Volume 1 and Volume 2. And it's a bunch of language patterns. And, and this will give you an insight into how the structure of language affects your brain the way you think mm-hmm. and then how you communicate. Mm. I've never recommended that book before, but I realize now looking back that they were quite formative for me. So they're cool. They're hard to get a hold of. But look them up, Structure of Magic, Volume 1 and 2. And favorite holiday destination? Mountains, either Arrowtown, New Zealand, anywhere where there's big mountains and lots of snow. Okay. Cats or dogs? Dogs. <laughs> Poor cats. Everyone wants dogs. Coffee or wine? Oh, both. Both. <laughs> no <laughs> that's one can, tough. That's, that yeah. is, I know. That's, what it's, yeah, yeah. It's, that's uh, a stretch question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, white Christmas or summer Christmas? White. And what podcast are you listening to right now? I listen to a guy called Built to Sell Radio. Built to Sell Radio. Yeah. What's um, it about? It's about preparing your business for sale. Oh. So how to maximize the valuation of your business, how to go through the whole the whole process of being valued, the due diligence, negotiating price uh, multiples, yep. getting a strategy right years out. I just find it fascinating. It's also really important when you're understanding strategy mm. and competitive advantage and the way investors really look at your business. Mm. It's a great way to understand how any company works. It's great. That's a great mm. one. And what makes you feel like your home? Oh, my kids. Mm. I have three kids. So How old are your kids? I've got twin boys, six, and a little girl, three. Oh. So, you know, when I get home and they run up and give me a cuddle or a tackle or whatever, it's mm. that time, you know. I love that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Look, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. There is just so much insight that you've given people that are listening. So we appreciate it on behalf of everyone listening thank right you. now. Yeah, it's been great to be here. So tell us a little bit more about how we can support you. How can we learn more about your programs, your book? So tell us the different avenues where we can support you. Sure. Look, if you just want to listen to podcasts and there's the inner chief, there's a book called Chief Maker. We've got a mini MBA in leading high performance teams. Uh, if you just go to the website, it's got details. But really all our stuff is about executive excellence, how to be better at your job. Mm. And we do it in a way that is really personal. It's heavy touch, not light touch, nothing self-paced. Mm. And we focus a lot on the stickiness of what we teach. Mm. And that's one of our big points of difference is if you've heard of the old 70-20-10 rule mm-hmm. of learning, most like 10% in the classroom, 20% through your boss and stuff, and then 70% doing projects, yep. our programs do all three. Yeah. So we're one of the only programs out there, I think we are the only program that gives you 100%. Mm. That's it. Love it. Chief Maker. Thank you so much. And I can tell the passion behind what you do. Oh, I love it. And, and, you know, I can tell. And I love that. And I love hearing that through, yeah. that come through because it's just so important. So thank you so much for taking oh, the time. Pleasure, so good and to be here. It, was, mm. it was great. And mm. yep, you've heard it. You know where to find Greg. So definitely follow up with him. And I hope that he's provided some great value as he has for me during the episode. Thanks for listening to Building Doors. If you've got comments or questions, send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au. And remember to subscribe, rate and review. See you next time.